0: If you have your Bibles, please open up to Isaiah uh, chapters uh, 43 through 45. Um, and this is, uh, I know I keep saying we're not going to be in big chunks right into it because there's so much here. And and you might say like, well, why didn't you break it down more? Well, sometimes you can get so micro that you miss the macro, and, and I don't want to do that. Um uh, Here's our, here's our truth statement, and this if you think this is wordy now, you have no clue what it was like uh, even 24 hours ago. Um, uh, none compare to Yahweh, the sovereign one, right? We're going to see that throughout this passage. There, there's no one like God, none at all. So none compare to Yahweh, the, the sovereign one. We've seen that through Isaiah, that God is sovereign. He's he's in control of, of everything, including human history, right? And he's, he's at work. Um Uh, None compared to Yahweh, the sovereign one who loves his people. We'll see that throughout this passage and promises to deliver them from bondage and for all eternity has purposed to save them. So if you remember, we just ended chapter 42. It's talking about Israel being set to be burned. And then 43.1 says, but now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not. For I've redeemed you, and we, we, we keep using this word, redeemed. It's in Isaiah a lot, and I realize, like, man, dude, does everyone know what that means? It, it, him redeemed is he, he bought Israel from slavery, right? So fear not, for I've, I've redeemed you, I've bought you, Israel, out of slavery. I've called you by, uh, by name, right? Yahweh knows his people. His relationship with his people is special. He knows them by name. We're not like some number on a list that he refers to. He knows you by name. I have called you by name. You are mine. God's people need to remember what he has done. He's created them, he's formed them, he knows them, he redeemed them. He'll continue to care for them. They have nothing to fear. And that's something I've had to tell myself all week uh, the last couple of weeks like I well since I since we were in Sermon on the Mount and, and we were the we part talking about anxiety um, I've been more anxious for months now than, than I ever have been in my life and and, and uh, anyway I'm preaching this to me believe me um, so so God he's redeeming them and he has redeemed them and that should. That should instill great security, and so this side of the cross, if you're a believer, or Christ has already done the heavy lifting, right? He's already taken on the wrath of God for sin. He's defeated death. He's ascended to 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 the Father. So be confident. Fear not. If Christ bore your sins, what lengths will He not go for you? What could you have to fear. Verse two, he says, when you pass through the waters, right? I mean, this is like Exodus language here. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your, uh, as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored I love you. I give men in return for you, people in exchange for your life. I love Romans 8, and that's exactly what these last couple of verses shot me back to. Romans 8, 31, this will not be on the screen. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us right now. Paul didn't say that, but I did. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation or distress or persecution. He just goes on and on and on. In verse 37 says, No one in all these things were more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things that come nor powers nor height nor depth or anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And does anyone love you? like God does. No, no one does. But then, then why do we look to anyone or anything else? Why do I, I worry and, and, and try and take on the problems of this world on my own? If you've turned to Jesus, you know that he has redeemed you. You know he loves you. And look in verse 5, it says, Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you, right? He's gathering the exiles from Babylon to the land. And I'm sure Isaiah also had in mind the, the regathering that Christ would do at the second coming week, when he will gather his people from all the nations, from all over the world. Isaiah 43, 10, that says, You're my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant, uh, my, my servant whom I have chosen. Well, Why? So that you may know and believe me, and understand that I am he. Right? Chosen that God's people would know their great God that will believe who he is. Chosen in order to reveal to us and, and reveal to us in a way that we can understand that he isn't just any God. Right? He is the eternal one. He revealed himself to Moses, and, and you might remember Moses said, well, who do I say sent me? He says, say that I am has sent you. He's the Holy One. He's the creator of all things. He's the sovereign one, right? He's in control of everything. He has the right and the power to do all things according to his good and perfect pleasure. And we've seen, even in Isaiah, right, the mightiest world powers, the the mightiest, scariest kings on earth do his will. He directs them wherever he pleases. There's no one, there's no thing like the Lord. Continuing in verse 10, he says, Before me, no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am, and we're going to see I am throughout this passage. I, I am the Lord. Besides me, there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, for I am God. Also, henceforth, I am he, There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work. Who can turn it back? None none who can deliver from my hand. Uh, That takes us back, or I think it should take us back to our our series in John, in in John 10, a couple different ways. Jesus says, Man, the, the ones the Lord has given to me, put in my hand, no one will be able to snatch them. Isaiah 43, 15. He says, I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. And no one compares. Right? And, and this is this is a, a real relationship between God and his people. He says, "You holy One, your king, so again, why do I doubt him? Why is it hard for us to trust him? Why are we so quick to to seek other options to try and find other other things that, that might satisfy us or, or, or give us what we think we need? Well, in the next verse is God. God, again, reminds the people of the Exodus, the parting of the Red Sea, the the making a a, a dry path for for his people to walk on in order to escape the Egyptian army. But then in verse 18, he says, don't remember these former things. Don't, Don't remember that, which is wild, because all throughout Scripture, we keep going back to the Exodus. But this is why in 19, he says, behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers rivers in the, the desert. At this new exodus, it's, it's, a, it's a Red Sea reversal. So instead of parting the water and making dry ground to walk on, now God's people are, are walking through this, this desert, and God brings a river to run through this arid land. Verse 20 says, The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals, the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. And that reminds me, I should drink some water right now as I impart. Love the imagery uh, of of God giving life where there was no life. Um, I really enjoy Bend, Oregon. It's not like I've been there a ton. I've been there a handful of times. Um, I I love, uh, I should say I love visiting Bend, Oregon. Um, I couldn't live there. It's, uh, it's so dry, and, and I know, like, I have to kind of concentrate to go, this is beautiful, right? <laughs> this arid land is beautiful, and, I, and if I look at the whole picture, it is, but when I look right in front of me, I'm like, man, they can't even grow a lawn here. Like, I, I don't like this, but I do have a favorite spot in, in Bend. It's where the Deschutes River runs through town, if, if you've ever been to Bend, and, and there's life there. Right, not not just in the river, not not even just just the the uh, the life right around the river, but when the weather warms up, you, you see the life that, that that congregates to the river. There's all kinds of people paddleboarding and, and kayaking, and people swimming. They've they built some cool parks along the river where kids are, are playing uh, a little ways up the river. There's some really fun white water that, that you can raft. And, and of course, there's, there's fly fishing all over the place. Um, when, when, the, when the weather's good, it, people, people just flock to it. And, and I've never seen someone say like, oh, I hate enjoying this awesome river, right? No, you, you, you love it. It, it's, it. it is this place of life And God brings life where there was none. He supplies his people with what they need. And in verse 21, he he tells us that the people, they're to respond with praise when God does this. But in verse 22, we see that that isn't the case. And he he confronts Israel. He says, you did not call on me, O Jacob, but you've been weary of me, O Israel. He, He confronts their wearying worship Israel should know how great God is. They should know that he's the Holy One, that he's the only one worthy of devoting yourself to completely, the only one worthy of worship. But their worship was dilapidated. They went through the motions physically of what they were supposed to do, but their hearts were so far from God. It was not worship to Yahweh. There's no devotion to Yahweh. And he says, you're weary of me. And I think we've got to ask ourselves, is that true of me? Because we see that throughout Israel's story. Is that true of me? Are we weary of God? Are we weary of worshiping him? This happens, I think, to all Christians for a variety of reasons. And I'll throw out a couple Maybe it's that we've grown familiar with God, but not in a good way. More like um, a couple that's been married for, for decades, but they've become more like roommates than, than husband and wife. I wonder, are you still in awe of God? Right, like maybe you know he's great, but, but today, are you in awe of him? Or have you set your following of Christ just kind of on cruise control, and you're going through the motions? Another reason uh, I've observed is, um, is people that uh, a Christian that's desperately wanted something of God, but he, but he, he hasn't done it yet or, or he didn't do it. And so, so slowly they, they kind of keep him at arm's length. And, and maybe it's to, to protect their heart or I don't know why necessarily. They know God is real. They know God is true but you're holding yourself back from him. You're, you're keeping yourself from trusting him. Or, or maybe, maybe you haven't called on God because you just can't wait. So, so you find these, these things that will temporarily meet your needs, these quick fixes, because who knows how long you, have to, you might have to wait on God to provide this thing that you're convinced you need right now. And, and we saw this throughout Israel's history. Right, we saw this very clearly when they demanded a king instead of God being their king. They, they wanted to be like the other nations. We see this when they, they mix the, the worship of, of idols from these other nations with the worship of the, of the one true God. They were no longer devoted to God at best. They knew that he was God, and, and they went through the motions. Or, or I wonder if the extent of your worship is just coming to a Sunday morning. But but the rest of the week, or, or shoot, even, even the rest of Sunday, is for you and about you. Israel didn't call out to God. They, they, were, they were going through the, the physical motions on, on the outside. They were doing what was right, but their hearts were not worshiping God. And God tells them, you're, you're weary of me? Man, I'm weary of your worship. Verse 25, he, he reminds them of who he is and what he does. He says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Man, we have to let scripture inform us about who God is because the enemy loves to distort and distract from the truth about who God is, who we are, what this life is about. So a simple question for you is, are you regularly in God's word? Right? We, we we heard uh, part of uh, Tristan's testimony with Isaiah forty I actually made her like cut it in half. <laughs> There's a lot there. It's good, uh, but we heard how, how God took this this passage Isaiah forty and, and powerfully met her where she was at, and and it, and it changed the the the, directory, uh, the trajectory of her life. God's revealed himself to us through his word. Psalm 1 uh, gives us a, a picture again of, of a river teeming with life. And he says the, the one that meditates on God's word, it's like they're a tree planted by this stream, this river that's teeming with life. If your life feels more like a desert, is it because you so rarely meet God in his word? And I'm not trying to make you feel guilty because I actually think that's way too low of a goal. My aim is is much higher than that. My hope is, is that you would start meeting with God through his word because I, I want you to, to have what, what, what Psalm 1 describes. I want you to have that life, right? You're like this tree that's, that's planted by this river, teeming with life as God is feeding you and producing fruit. Um, By God's grace, this is not my doing, but by God's grace in 2020 and 2021, I've read more of the Bible than I I ever have. Um, Fortunately, uh, by God's providence, I started a Bible read-through with Ron Frost. uh, I think it was like January 4th of of 2020, right? So just before the pandemic. And we were meeting every week, and and it was a a 90-day read-through. And and man, it it was so good for me to do that. So good that, that I really, I haven't stopped um, and, and maybe reading the Bible, you hear that 30 minutes a day, that might feel big and intimidating. Um, I'm telling you, if you start it probably at first, it'll feel really awesome. Just like the first time you go to a gym without going for a long, long time. You're like, yeah, this is great. And then you'll get sore and you'll be like, man, can I really do this? But then if you can keep going, Man, God's going to build that, that muscle, that hunger for his word, right? And, and I encourage you to do this with other people. I, I'm not saying you have to do a 90-day read-through, but, but man, can't we give God even 30 minutes? I, I know people that, that, that won't go a day without working out 30 minutes. Or my guess is if we checked screen time on our phones, we'd see plenty of apps we spend way more than 30 minutes on. So we'll turn in our phones later and we'll get those checked. Just kidding. Um, getting God's word. Because we, we need the word to shape us. We got to keep going. Verse 6 in chapter 44. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel... His Redeemer, the Lord of Hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there's no God. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it, let him declare and set it before me. Since I appointed an ancient people, let them declare what is to come and what will happen, right? The idols could not do that. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from old and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There's no rock. I know not any. There's no one like God. There's no thing like God. And yet, we look for alternatives all the time. We try and replace him. 44.9, all who fashion idols are nothing. And the things they delight in do not profit. Their witnesses neither see nor know that they, that they might be put to shame. Verse 12, and, and I hope you appreciate the irony, or the, the sarcasm, sorry, of this passage as God mocks both idols and idol makers. He says, the ironsmith takes a cutting tool and works it over the coals. He fashions it with hammers and works it with his strong arm. He becomes hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. The carpenter stretches a line. He marks it out with a pencil. He shapes it with planes and marks it with a compass. He shapes it into the figure of a man with the beauty of a man to dwell in a house. He cuts down cedars or he chooses a cypress tree or an oak and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar and the rain nourishes it. Then it becomes fuel for a man. He takes a part of it and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread, and he also makes a god and worships it. He makes an idol and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over the half he eats meat, he roasts it, and is satisfied. Also, he warms himself and says, Aha, I am warm. I've seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his idol, and falls down to it and worships it and prays to it and says, Deliver me for you Are my God. They know not, nor do they discern, for he has shut their eyes so they cannot see, and their hearts so they cannot understand. No one considers, nor is there knowledge or discernment to say, half of it I burned in the fire. I also baked bread on its coals, I roasted meat and have eaten, and shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes a deluded heart has led him astray and he cannot deliver himself or say, is there not a lie in my right hand? And my suspicion is we read this and we completely agree. Idol worship is so stupid. None of us, my guess is, are carving idols. None of us are, are, are seeking an artisan so we can commission them to make an idol for us. So how might we have a deluded heart like verse 20 says? Well, first, let me speak to those who, if you're here or online, you, you haven't trusted Jesus yet. I ask you, what do you trust in? What, what do you put your hope in? What have you given yourself to? Following Christ is to be fully devoted to him. So what are you devoted to if you don't trust in Jesus because what you're devoted to is what you worship. It's what you trust in. So to you, if you, don't, if you haven't trusted Jesus yet, this passage is, is saying take whatever you're devoted to and then compare that to God and figure out which one is worthy. And the answer ought to be very, very clear. There's none like God. Okay, so what about then for the Christian, right? What do we do with this passage? You're not bowing down to a crafted idol. You know Jesus is Lord. You believe that you needed him to die for your sins, that he was the spotless substitute in your place, that he defeated death, rose from the dead, ascended to be with the Father. So what does this have to do with you? You're devoted to the Lord. Well, I wonder, what are the the microscopic ways, the, the micro ways that, that we turn to something other than God. Maybe you could ask yourself, what do you do when you're afraid or when you're stressed or, or lonely? What do you turn to? Right? Again, I think about our phone. Our phones are pretty amazing. There's a lot of good in them, and yet we're, I bet a lot of us are actually addicted to our phones, right? How many of us, when we wake up every morning, We've got a certain app that we go to embarrassingly fast. What about social media? What is it that we're trying to get from social media? I'm not saying that social media is the devil, but we can make social media an idol for us. We can make it this thing that we turn to. What are we trying to get from social media or from the news or whatever, rather than going to God? Or, or we can do it any other number of ways right spending money we know that, that when we spend money it, it releases dopamine okay so so we can like stress spend to try and make us feel better what are the little ways or even the big ways Christians that you're you're turning to something that's a lie tiny example this morning I was um, well I wouldn't say that I'm a person generally that depends heavily on a routine. Like I think I'm really flexible, actually, and, and kind of love that. Um, but this morning, I was like maybe seven, ten minutes later than my goal was to get to the building. And uh, man, I realized right away how it was throwing me off. And and, and and I had plenty of time. It's not like I. It's not like I didn't give myself way enough time. Uh, but all of a sudden, I wondered, man, do I? Right now, am I putting more trust in my routine or or the time that I have than actually depending on God? What are we trusting in? Verse 21, he says, Remember these things, O Jacob and Israel, for you're my servant. I formed you. You are my servant, O Israel. You will not be forgotten by me. And and I'm not going to spend much time here, but I realize there are probably some in the room that feel like God's forgotten you. Maybe you've been waiting for, just for decades for, for God to, uh, to, to save that family member right, that, that you've been praying for. Or, or maybe you, you experienced a tragedy years ago, and, and all these years later it still hurts like it happened yesterday. And, and you, you wouldn't say this out loud maybe, but, but inside somewhere you're, you're wondering, has God forgotten me? That could not be further from the truth goes on verse 22. He says, I've blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like mist. Return to me for I have redeemed you, right? Idols couldn't do anything. They certainly couldn't redeem from sin. Yahweh alone saves. And God would free his people by his sovereign hand. We see that right in, the, in, in uh, chapter 45, verse 1. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped, to subdue nations before him, to lose the belts of kings, to open doors before him, that gates may not be closed. May, that might have caught you off guard, and I think it's supposed to, uh, that, that God will call Cyrus his anointed, right? the, the, the one who would come in. Uh, with the Persians and, and defeat Babylon, right? This is a term that, that we're used to calling Jesus the anointed. We're used to prophets and, and priests, and, and certainly Israelite kings being God's anointed. But, but, but Cyrus, this pagan king, and if it confuses us, how much would it confuse Israel that God would call him his anointed? And, and we didn't read this verse, but previously he called him my shepherd. And I think it's really easy for us to think in, in, in black and white terms with God and, and, and make him kind of work in ways that, that make sense to us. That if God's going to do something, he's going to use his people to do it. The people that trust him, he's going to use them to accomplish his work. But God is not limited. God has chosen Cyrus and empowered him to carry out God's purposes. And there's at least two ways uh, that he is similar in what he will accomplish to the Messiah, to the Christ. One is that he would be used by God to free God's people. And two, he would be used to judge those who do not trust in God. Verse three says, that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who call you by name. Right? This verse is about Cyrus knowing who it is that's called him, who it is that's, that's uh, uh, enabling him to accomplish the work that God has. Right? There's nothing that makes us think that Cyrus turned to God and worshiped him. Right? So similar to Pharaoh, who came to recognize that Israel's God was, in fact, uh, truly the God, but he never trusted in Yahweh, which is frightening. That it's possible to know that, that God really is God, and, and yet not turn to him. And no doubt there are many, many people— um, in churches all over the place that, well, and and outside of churches that believe that that Yahweh is God and yet haven't trusted him. They know that he's God, but they will not allow him to be Lord. Regardless, God was working in history to redeem his people. He would use Cyrus to free Israel from Babylon and return them to the land. And then we read this in verse 9, it says, woe to him Right? And, and I can't describe uh, how uh, th- this word like, should shake us. It, it, it's like this, this warning, like doom. Right, Doom to him who, who strives with him who formed him. A, a pot among earthen pots. Does the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making? Or your work has no handles. Woe to him who says to a father, what are you begetting? Or to a woman, w- with what are you in labor Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, the one who formed him, ask me of things to come. Will you command me concerning my children and the work of my hands? And, and this might feel kind of random in the, the flow of the passage, verse 13, which isn't on the screen. It, it helps us see that this is about God's people questioning, like you're using Cyrus to accomplish your purposes and setting your people free. Again, it's, it's easy for us to forget who God is, to not understand who he is. Sometime, like 20 plus years ago in Bible college, I remember hearing someone say, God can handle your questions. And, and I was intrigued by that. And on the surface, I would say, I totally agree with that. God can handle your questions. God's not intimidated by any question that any person has ever come up with, right? God never goes, that's good. Let me get back to you on that, right? Like God does not do that. But, but verse 9 helps us see the, the reverence that we need to come to God with. Right? It, it, it is a big deal to question, and, 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 and obviously God is, is, is gracious, right? Tristan, in, in her story, is this young, young believer. She came with some fiery words to God. My guess is she wouldn't phrase it in those same ways today. Right? Uh, this is the Lord we're talking about. We don't fathom how great He is. We don't understand how terrifying it will be to see Him face to face. Right? We think about all the times in Scripture where people fall down to worship what was just an angel, and the angel's like, "Get up! This is embarrassing. I'm not God. I'm just an angel. They're not worthy of worship." When John sees Jesus in the book of Revelation. It says he falls down as though dead. Like, we don't understand. I don't understand how great God is. We do not comprehend it. Verse 19, he says, I did not speak in secret in a land of darkness. I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. Assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, you survivors of the nations. They have no knowledge who carry about wooden idols, and keep on praying to a God that cannot save. Declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told this long ago? Who declared it of all? of old. Was it not I, the Lord? There is no other God beside me, a righteous God and a Savior. There's none beside me. Years ago, I had a a student in youth group that wore a shirt that that caught me off guard and really made me chuckle. It it said, uh, you're unique like everybody else. (laughs) (laughs) It's so true. Like even the most unique person, I hate to break it to you, there are others like you out there. And now with the internet, we can find them very easily. But God is unique like nobody else. There's no God beside him. There's none righteous like him. There's no one good like him. There's no one dependable like him. No one gracious like him. No one powerful like him. No one merciful like him. No one perfect in justice like him. No one who loves like him. There's no one wise like him. We can go on and on. There's none. There's no one, there's no thing like our God Yahweh. Verse 22 says, Turn to me and be saved. Or some translations say, look to me and be saved. All the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is no other. Pastor Gary uh, told me a story I had not heard before. It was uh, Charles Spurgeon's conversion, and it was it was uh, because of God used this. This verse, um, when when Spurgeon was two years old, mom's getting ready to have a second baby, so he got sent to uh, grandparents' house and, and he lived there. I'm not totally clear on, on it, but maybe I don't know if he was there full time until he's six years old or or, or a lot. Um, but but he was. He was there a lot, and even after that, um, his, his grandparents exposed him to uh, great Christian uh, writings, uh, lots of Puritan works, including uh, John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, uh, Richard Baxter's uh, Call to the Unconverted, and, and so on. But even with, with this exposure um, to these, these great works and the spiritual influence of his family, he, he didn't trust in Jesus. Uh, for, for a while. He recalled, he said this, I'd, I'd heard the plan of salvation by the sacrifice of Jesus from my youth up, but I did not know any more about it in my innermost soul than if I'd been born and raised in some remote tribe that never heard the gospel. The light was there, but I was blind. And then one Sunday morning, January 6th, 1850, Spurgeon, he's 15 years old at this point, he's walking uh, through this little town to get to church uh, when a snowstorm uh, changed plans, and he ended up at this tiny, little, primitive Methodist church that he'd not planned on going to. Uh, there were only a dozen people in attendance, and even the, the minister couldn't arrive. So this uh, reluctant lay preacher, who is said to, be, uh, to have little to no skills in preaching, steps forward to expound upon uh, Isaiah 45, 22 And he said, look unto me and be saved all the earth. And this unassuming uh, preacher exhorted the small congregation to look by faith to Jesus Christ alone. And then at one point he locks eyes on, on Spurgeon and he says, young man, look to Christ. Look, look, look. He didn't know what else to say. He just, he said the verse and he'd repeat it. Sometimes I feel like that's all I'm doing. He says says to Spurgeon, you have nothing to do but look and live. And someone wrote that like an arrow from heaven's bow, the gospel hit its intended target. And Spurgeon wrote, I saw at once the way of salvation, like uh, as when the brazen serpent, so he's he's, uh, referring to that story in, in Exodus with God's people, like when the brazen serpent was lifted up and the people only looked and were healed, so it was with me. And gazing by faith on Christ, he was dramatically converted. He was consumed with joy. He could scarcely contain himself even for five minutes without just trying to do something for Jesus. And this boundless energy marked his life from that point forward. On April 4th, 1850, he was admitted to fellowship at St. Andrew's Baptist Church. Soon after he was baptized, he took his first communion, a love. Uh, this story. Uh, I love how it demonstrates the power of God's word to do exactly what God has sent it to accomplish, right? Even when spoken by an unskilled, untrained preacher, we see God's providence in arranging circumstances to get him to this church on that day to do what he wanted to do. If you don't know uh, much about Spurgeon, uh, he's the goat of English-speaking preachers, right? He's arguably the greatest of all time. Uh, his influence um, over the globe, uh, it, it really doesn't compare. More people have read his sermons than, than, than anyone else's, uh, well, Jesus' sermons, obviously, Um He was converted, right, by this this faithful servant of the Lord. Who knows, maybe this is the only sermon that guy ever preached to just a couple dozen people. God demonstrated his power, right? He he wanted the power of his word to bear fruit beyond what what anyone could have imagined that day. I wonder, have you turned to Jesus to be saved? Are, Are you looking to him alone where else do you look? Because wherever else we look, it, it does not compare. No thing compares, no one compares to our great God. Let's pray. God, we, we confess that you are great, and simultaneously we confess that we do not understand how great you are. God, we, we thank you that, that you have chosen to love your people, that, that you have made a people, that you are making a people for yourself, and there's nothing that will stop you from saving. Jesus, we, we need you. Lord, we need your help to see you rightly, to see this world rightly, to respond to you God, all the ways that we're not fully devoted to you, I, I pray that you would reveal those to us, even like that tiny thing this morning with my schedule. God, I, I just, I want to be yours, and, and yet I'm blind to all these ways that I'm not. God, you are good. And we, we, we confess that we, we don't deserve anything from you. And we come to you, Lord, and I pray that that our worship wouldn't, wouldn't wouldn't be weary to you, Lord. That in everything that we do throughout the week, throughout the service, Lord, every time we gather, that, that it, it, would, it, it would be this, this fragrant aroma, this offering to you, our great God. It's in your name we pray, amen.